as entrepreneurs, we're always out for number one. And if anyone is going to make our business succeed, it's got to be us, right? But Ben, what if the only way to really get ahead is to actively seek out new people and new environments that force us to think completely differently? Interesting idea, Tom. And that's what we're going to explore today on Subject Matter, where we learn how we can master our environment through a life mastermind, how one company's life mastermind produced no less than six billionaires, and how we can create an S-curve of growth in our own lives that pushes us further than ever before. Welcome, listeners, to Subject Matter. Well, hello, listeners, to the next episode of Subject Matter, where we explore the world at large. Ben, my beautiful co-host, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well, Tom. Thank you very much for inviting me on the show. As always, it's a pleasure to see you. As my invited co-host, I would hope that you manage to show up. And to get ahead of that, Ben, what is one way you challenge yourself this week? By managing to stick to the schedule and actually show up to record this episode. That was a tough one. Ooh, well, you know what? I'm glad you're able to pencil me into your busy schedule. Uh, I'm hoping that our conversation is as stimulating as the last time I had to listen to you drone on for two and a half hours. You mean when you let your microphone press record and I could hear you snoring for two hours? I like to consider it more of white noise for, for your viewing pleasure or listening pleasure. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, I do put that on as my alarm now when, uh, when I'm waking up in the morning and it soothes me when I go to sleep. So... Hey, it worked. (laughs) All right, then. Well, now that all of the world knows what my alarm clock sounds like, let's jump in to today's discussion. And what we're talking about here today, listeners, is the concept of a life mastermind. And very simply, a life mastermind is the idea of surrounding yourself with the right environment and the right people that are going to push you further than ever before. And For our first story of today, we're going to explore a mental conflict which happened at the highest level between a man and a city. And the first character in our story is the city. It is the tech hub of the West. It is, of course, Silicon Valley. This is the city that has been responsible for countless technology unicorns and successes like Airbnb, Apple, and Google. And one company that came out of Silicon Valley was, of course, the social media platform, which most of us use on the regular, that is Facebook. Now, Facebook has not always been a platform with over 2 billion users. We all had to start somewhere, as we know here at Subject Matter, recording episode three here today. But back in the early days of Facebook, when they were just getting traction at US universities, the first person to take a chance on Facebook was a man by the name of Peter Thiel. And Peter Thiel invested a half a million dollar angel round when Facebook was worth just 5 million. And given where Facebook would end up today, I think it's pretty safe to say that he's doing very well off that. Now, if that wasn't proof enough for Peter Thiel's accolades, he also co-founded Palantir, a data intelligence platform which works with governments and enterprises to make strategic choices about their data. So safe to say, he's one of the most successful technologists 
of our time. And so if I had to ask you where you think he is and his relationship with Silicon Valley, you'd probably think it was pretty rosy. But this is where our story starts to get sour. Because Peter Thiel this year in 2018 turned his back on the city that was responsible for so much of his success and came out against it. And so started the bitter relationship that he had between Silicon Valley, his old lover turned spurn nemesis, and his new city, Los Angeles on the West Coast. So you're probably wondering why would Peter Thiel leave Silicon Valley? And his reasoning behind this is the Valley's increasing intolerance for conservative thinking. And Thiel is following a trend of other right-leaning thinkers who are being squeezed into what they call, in their own words, liberal group think. Now, this liberal group think is occurring because Silicon Valley is surrounded by so many similar entrepreneurs. Now, I listened to three podcast interviews this afternoon, and they were interviewing successful Silicon Valley entrepreneurs. And I will keep them nameless, but they asked all of them who their entrepreneurial inspiration was. And two out of the three cited Steve Jobs, the same person. Now, on the surface, this is probably pretty harmless. He's, of course, the poster boy of Silicon Valley and of disruptive thinking. But this uniting factor is also potentially a serious hindrance. And it's why Teal, the character in our story, may have left Silicon Valley. And that's because if every single company in your city's environment or even every employee at your company is thinking the exact same, then that means you're in an ideological echo chamber. And can that echo chamber really provide the ingredients for groundbreaking innovation that we really need to truly succeed? Where Silicon Valley has failed is that there's not an ideological devil's advocate in the room. It draws to more effective decision-making when you have a contrarian forcing people to defend their beliefs rather than a group of sycophants altogether thinking the same. So what does this look like scaled to your whole life? How do you bring devil's advocacy and contrarian thinking to your whole life rather than just a city, a meeting, a company? For a moment, let's explore the journey of Carmen Tal, the founder of Moroccan Oil, one of the more successful health, beauty, and fashion companies in the world. Carmen spent several years in management positions in the fashion industry. She had three kids. And she was no longer interested in paid employment. She took an entrepreneurial risk and started a hair salon with a friend. Right afterwards, she went to Tel Aviv, Israel, where she was taken to a small salon where they used an argan oil treatment. The results were instantaneous. Her damaged hair became shiny, healthy, and her first thought was, this could work. It took leaving everything she knew to discover the opportunity that would make her. And so now, Moroccan Oil, one of the highest revenue companies in the world in terms of fashion, with $62 million booked this year alone, it holds its survival against the contrarian and actionable movement of Carmen Tao from everything that she left behind. And Carmen is an excellent example of not following the crowd. And another excellent example of this is... Dick Fosbury, because the devil's advocate in the room forces you to second guess yourself and it forces you to double down on what works. But if you stand up for what you truly believe in, like Dick Fosbury did, then great things might happen. 
So who is Dick Fosbury? So I'm going to take you to the pinnacle of his career. And that was in 1968. Dick Fosbury in Mexico City takes the Olympic gold in the high jump and sets a new Olympic record. This is a feat managed by only a handful of men and women throughout history. And how did he do it? By staying true to what he believed in, by being that contrarian with the Fosbury flop. I'm just happy we live in a world where we have Olympians named Dick Fosbury up on a plaque somewhere very serious. And as you can tell, Subject Matter is a strictly serious podcast, ladies and gentlemen. So please make sure to uh, to take note of that. And uh, after that academic interlude from my co-host, let's get back into uh, the story with one Richard Fosbury. So Dick Fosbury, when he had set this Olympic record, he was using a brand new technique that he'd invented back in high school. Fosbury realized that though he was terrible at the scissor kick and the straddle and the belly roll, if he stretched out his back and landed head first, he could jump higher than anyone in his high school track team. And of course, when you're onto a winner, you don't stop doing it. And so Fosbury would work his way through college doing the jump. He would work his way onto the national team doing the jump. But Fosbury, crucially, was not in an ideological echo chamber like Silicon Valley. His parents and coaches were worried that Fosbury's technique was dangerous. And in fact, the US Olympic coach, Pat Jordan, even warned that the Fosbury flop could wipe out an entire generation of high jumpers because they will all have broken necks. And so staring down the barrel of pressure, Fosbury did not relent. He stuck to what he believed in and executed, of course, at the highest level. And we all know the story because if you've watched High Jump and Elite Level Now, everyone uses the Fosbury flop. And within a decade of Fosbury shattering the Olympic record, almost every elite high jumper was doing it Fosbury's way. And since 1980, no other high jump technique has even scratched the world record. Dick Fosbury was the devil's advocate of the high jump world. And if you can think like this, then you are society's devil's advocate. And perhaps you are the missing ingredient that we need for true innovation. Ben, only you could find an example as pointedly obscure as the Fosbury flop. Make no mistake, these cultures of contrarian thinking can absolutely be manufactured. Peter Thiel first did this by leaving Silicon Valley to head to LA, but he also did this within his first majorly successful company, PayPal, introducing the PayPal Mafia, a core group of entrepreneurs, engineers, and problem solvers who were all put into a glass bottle with the exact same mindset in order to dramatically change the landscape of the world we live in. No less than six members of this mafia have become billionaires. Hey, have you heard of these companies? YouTube which is a video platform that has revolutionized the way we process information. Yelp, have you ever looked at a restaurant review and wondered, do I want to go there? LinkedIn, an online community of recruiters, employees, and opportunities bringing the world together. Those are just a few to name. We also are looking at SpaceX, Tesla, Palantir, and the Slack competitor, although it wishes it was more Yammer. So Ben, Why did this glass bottle of brilliance have such an explosive impact on the world if contrarian thinking is found elsewhere? That's an excellent question, Tom. And for me, I think that there's a common theme here. 
And that's the fact that at PayPal, they were a self-selecting cult of betas, but not just betas, of alpha betas. Their recruitment process was incredibly selective. They only wanted uber nerds to join their cult. Cryptonomicon, the popular sci-fi novel set in two different dimensions, was required reading. If you hadn't read it, then you weren't part of the club. But remember, with all of these people that were at PayPal, they were all ultimately out for number one, just as we all should be. And with our life mastermind, even as we surround ourselves by the best people, with that growth comes a greater sense of independence. And this causes people to diverge and explains the wide-ranging success that the PayPal mafia would have afterwards. But the one thing that was consistent throughout all of the mafia and throughout all of our lives, through mine, through Tom's, and through everybody listening, is our growth. And if we have a life mastermind, if we have a self-selecting group of rule breakers, of people that are pushing us forward in the right environment, then our growth should follow a particular pattern, which is an S-curve. What is an S-curve, Tom? Ben, that's an excellent question. An S-curve is a term often used to describe the growth rate of technology companies as they scale new technologies into emerging marketplaces. What does that really mean? It's the process of Uber going from nowhere to everywhere and then saturating the whole market. It can only grow for so long before it's captured everything. But beyond that is a very, very extensive period of growth in which they go from zero to 100. So the life mastermind ignites period of similar rapid growth in our lives, much like a technology company takes a new technology everywhere. And it's not just technology companies where we can see these S-curves of growth, Tom. Because here at Subject Matter, we are concerned with the improvement and transforming perspectives of you, our dear listeners. And what would this podcast be if we weren't able to put into practice the concepts that we talk about? And for me, when I moved to New York just over a year ago, I unwittingly had a massive benefit. I knew just one person. And this meant that I had to be 100% intentional with who I hung around with because I really didn't know anyone. There was no past relationships and I was able to build my way into my S-curve. And no, listeners, thankfully that person was not me. That one person that Ben knew coming to New York was not myself. Thank the stars. Yeah, if you couldn't tell, we probably would have got sick of each other's company by now. (laughs) But um, yeah, it's good we met later, hey, Tom? Uh, Better now than later. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I will say that the one person that I did make my life an absolute joy while I was there, but what was even better was surrounding myself by other people who were able to create my life mastermind by going through this concept of an ESCO. By living in a new city, surrounding myself with new people, I realized that the world is tiny. And this started shifting my mindset towards surrounding myself with the people who are going to make me grow because we're just as much a product of our environment as we are the way we think. And it's not just myself that we did this with because we, that being Tom and I, are doing this together with subject matter. Tom and I actually met only four short months ago or closer to five, actually, we'll call it five, but we met at a conference in New York, the Next Gen Summit. And this is a really interesting point because at the Next Gen Summit, we're surrounded by other young, 
hungry entrepreneurs who are building something, they're creating something, but they're not necessarily all working on the same product. You had one person who was creating a wearable IoT product. The next person had a YouTube channel for their watches. Someone else was selling a range of socks. There was a serious variety in the products that are on offer. There is a very different divergence of thinking. And with Tom and I, there is a divergence in how we think here with subject matter. And that's very intentional for you listeners. We want you to make up your own minds because even though we met in New York, we're still starting a podcast thousands of miles away. And it's proof that if you can surround yourself with subjects that matter as your own life mastermind, then you can really execute at the highest level. And Ben, as much as it's been a pleasure to meet you at a high level, we're looking to find people who have married passion with action. And discovering what absolutely sets you on fire is the precursor for uncovering that. When you meet intentional people who are pursuing interesting things and willing to take risks, it's often easier to get deeper into that than a person who isn't willing to extend past what they know. Now, when we meet people, there is a difference between asking them questions for an hour, hey, what do you do? Where are you from? Who are you? Versus allowing relationships to truly marinate that allows them to then be fuel for your life mastermind. Much like you and I really getting to know each other after the fact. There was an investment that was needed and a risk that was needed to undergo in order to get to that life mastermind point. So then the question becomes, how can you force yourself to build your life mastermind? And very simply, it comes down to three words. Push yourself further. Boom. This mindset can start small. Boom, indeed. Drop. I would drop the mic if it wasn't so expensive. <laughs> this mindset can start incredibly small. If you're in the gym, go ahead and push out that last rep. You can do this. But this mindset matters most when it comes to your relationships. When you meet someone interesting, don't just go and ask them basic questions. Take the initiative to set up a coffee meeting. Don't let them disappear and slip out of your life. Because if you let the opportunity slip away, you're sacrificing the quality of your life mastermind. But if you push yourself further, then you can meet people who you didn't know before, and you can do things that you didn't know you were capable of. And Ben, go do something far more interesting than a coffee. Make no mistake, contrarian thinking can absolutely be manufactured, but it requires a true departure from what's typical and what you think you know. But where you choose to draw the line, dear listeners, that is up to you. And let us know where you stand by getting in touch with us on the social channels, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. My name again is Ben Bradbury, joined by my glorious co-host, Tom Worcester. And we would love to know what you think. So if you have any feedback or thoughts, please do get in touch. Thanks, listeners. And see you later on the next episode of Subject Matter. And if you like what you've heard here today, then you can go ahead and subscribe on iTunes. We've got new episodes of Subject Matter coming out every single week for the next four months. And so if you do like what you've heard, it would mean a lot to us if you could go ahead and subscribe, because according to the algorithm gods of iTunes, your subscription means that we have a higher chance of getting seen in new upcoming podcast categories. So once again, if you do like what you've heard, we would absolutely love if you could subscribe on iTunes.